0: Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five year old and self described anxious eco minimalist. Thanks for joining. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Raising Eco Minimalists. Today, I am incredibly excited to be joined by Medina Eatman of Science Teacher Mom. Today, we're going to be talking about kids and the science connection, the importance of it, and different accessibility issues that prohibit some kids from accessing the science education that they should be getting. So first, Medina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Laura, for having me. I'm
1: so excited to get started.
0: Me too. So first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. So as Laura stated, my name is Medina. I'm also known as the science teacher mom and I am a science teacher of almost eight years. I teach high school and over the pandemic, um, I started Teaching my sons more science at home using the stuff that we had. And more and more parents and teachers who were then now home started to get interested in my products and in the activities that I was doing. And I just started sharing and sharing and sharing. And so now we've kind of by accident built up this subscription box that allows parents and mostly homeschooling parents and teachers to be able to use the resources to gain more science, hands-on science, with their students or with their children at home.
0: That's so awesome. And I love that something good came out of the, the awful time of the pandemic. And. Right. I first got introduced to you through Jess Purcell of Thoughtfully Sustainable. I think she had shared one of your Instagram reels or a post in her stories. And I love all the experiments that you share on your Instagram. And then I participated with my son in the Earth Day Summit that you kind of leading it, it seemed, um, with a bunch of other amazing people. And it were the experiments that were part of that were so much fun. My son still talks about them and he still asks, he calls them um, science experiences. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs>
0: it is <an> experience. It <laughs> is, yeah, well, they were really, it, it was really fun. So we'll definitely talk more about the boxes and stuff a little bit later. But first, you were recently on George to the Rescue on NBC. So congrats <laughs> yes. about that. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that show and how that experience was?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It was another thing that stumbled upon. And um, I had a, someone who just recommended, like, hey, there's this show I really think you would be great would you mind if i put a word in for you and try to see if i can get you in the show and i was like you know sure months ago and you know and then i just kept going on with my life and then i got a phone call that they wanted to do an interview and i was like okay so we did part one two and three when we got to round two and three i was like maybe this might actually happen and then when they called back and said that we were accepted after we gave our story you know they had to do site visits and everything they went through the process of like looking through and what to see what we needed in order to make this experience better for us and so that we can continue going on and so um one of the things that we definitely needed and was looking for was more space because anybody who knows like boxes and items products if you have you just need space for it and so we were living for a couple of months with boxes in our living room and in the hallway. And it's, get, it was getting a lot. And especially <laughs> with toddlers everywhere yeah, wanting to climb and see Aww. what's inside. I was like, I don't know if we can actually sustain like this. Yeah. We either need to pivot, we need to change, or we need to, we need to decide. And so from there, they were able to help us really with that deciding factor, like, all right, here's the space, here's the inspiration space that you'll need so that you can continue. And so it was just remarkable that how things happened when we knew in our heads, like, we need the space or we can't do this any longer. And so it was just an amazing experience. They came and they remodeled our basement space so that we have a workshop as well as kind of like a classroom and like a an office space a workshop for packing boxes so it's like an all-in-one space that is used by myself, my husband, and then my children when we're doing classwork and everything. So it's been such a blessing.
0: <laughs> That's so incredible. And for those of you who are listening, did you do a reel about it or you just posted pictures? I know I saw something. I can't remember what, if it was yes, video or yes. pictures.
1: Yeah. So I posted a picture about it. It's also in my stories and then it's also on YouTube. The link is in my Instagram bio, the actual, the full footage.
0: Awesome. I was going to ask about that too. Yeah. It's a yes. beautiful space. I, I just, I think that's so incredible. And that's awesome that it allowed you to keep doing this amazing project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you talk a lot about kids and the importance of learning STEM subjects or topics. Can you tell us what STEM is and why is it important for kids to get involved in these types of subjects or topics? Absolutely. STEM, very near and dear to my heart. Um, So what it stands for is
1: science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And sometimes we like to squeeze in the A for arts in there, for STEAM, because we don't want to forget how important art is and the creativity that it leads to. So we don't want to forget the A in STEAM. But STEM is essentially where it started with the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, where we are putting these topics together, these subjects together in order to have our students really learn critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, I'm gonna allow for innovation, that's where that creativity comes in, it promotes teamwork. And those are the skills that we need and have these young people become the citizens of tomorrow. So we want these problem solving thinkers to be the new citizens, the new adults that are going to come and really help change the world into the place that we want it for our children to grow up.
0: Yeah, those are all really important skills for, as you say, our up and coming change makers. And since this podcast talks a lot about sustainability, can you kind of, take that a step further and talk about why stem is important from a sustainability lens?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, for one with sustainability it's it's not really a new it's not really a new thing being sustainable. Humans when we first started out were very sustainable. we lived one with nature. It's a very new in our time frame where technology took took the lead in it. And we started to put the earth in the back burner. And so if we can teach the essence of humans, the essence of science, of 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 this tree, of the earth, and how it interacts with other animals, and all of that has to do with science, all has to do with sustainability. If we can teach that, we'll have a fighting chance in um, having our children and our students really know and understand what they can do on a smaller scale um and then also learning these problem solving skills and critical thinking skills on the flip side we can learn new ways on how we can recycle new ways on how we can reduce the amount of waste and of course we see now there are some hopefully water powered cars and solar powered cars and other things that we can use that we're not using up all the resources of the earth so it's kind of like twofold in my eyes teaching stem
0: that's so true and As you were talking, it kind of dawned on me that I think I'm so much in climate crisis mindset where it's like we have to, you know, fix, fix, fix. But that's such a great alternative to think about where it's by getting kids involved in these topics, we can potentially have new and better inventions for making the world better down the line.
1: Right. And as parents, we know, like, if you raise your child a certain way from the beginning, and that's all they know, right? If you raise a child as a vegetarian, and that's all they know, it's not like they're going to miss it. So if you raise them with this mindset from young, 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 they won't miss having all the things. They, they won't miss it. It won't be something that they're looking for. It'll be more of a lifestyle change. And if we can do that from when they're young, I think we still have a fighting chance. <laughs> I know we are definitely in that <laughs> crisis, like you're saying. It's definitely, definitely. We're behind the eight ball, definitely. <laughs> but I yes. still think we have a fighting chance if we can start with them young and they
0: understand.
1: And they're not too young to understand the world issues, the global issues, it's just how we explain it to them.
0: Yes, that's such a good point. Now that we've you've shared with us the importance of getting kids involved with these topics and subjects, can you talk about some specific ways that we can get our kids involved, particularly at home, and for those of us who are not, maybe not homeschooling or science literate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um one thing I love, I call it like kitchen science because most things, most everybody has access to a kitchen for the most part and cooking is a science and not saying like I'm I'm not a chef or anything, but every day we need to eat. And so if you think of it like this is everyday things that children need to learn, find the science in everyday wonders. Um, and so for kitchen science, for example, think of basic things you might have like baking soda and vinegar you might find in the kitchen. Even if you boil an egg, you can teach about physical changes versus chemical changes. And so just using the world around us to teach science I think, makes it a lot more accessible for everyone um, instead of having to see all the beakers and the microscopes and everything, because you can get there. And it's, it's that that's, is the cool part, definitely. But having them understand that science is everywhere makes it a little bit more, uh, you can touch it, more tangible. And so even my sons will just look out the window sometimes and they're looking for the moon. And like, where's the moon? And they know their moon phases. So they're like, oh, is it a full moon? Just talking about it as if it's everyday conversation really makes it a little bit easier. And we know a lot more science than we think. A lot of adults think it's more complex than it is because maybe they didn't necessarily learn it in school, but everything we do is science. So even if it's like, if they're looking at a, a bee outside and sometimes we hear the story of the birds and the bees, right? You may not know <laughs> the entire story, but you understand that, you know, these, this bee is doing something It's going from flower to flower, and that's science. And so my two-year-old, he is not afraid of anything, but he's definitely not afraid of <laughs> bees either. We talk about bees and, and why they're important for the environment, um, and they under, and he understands that they are important for flowers. We may not get into the whole story of birds and bees, but he knows bees we need for flowers So that flowers can produce these fruits. And that's like a a very basic concept. And they know if they ask me a question, I'm like, I don't know. Let's go check it out. And we'll go to YouTube. We'll go to Google. And I'm the first one to say, let's look it up. Because I remember when I was younger, my dad would always say, let's look in the encyclopedia. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) the encyclopedia. Now it's it's a lot easier. They can Google it. But I want them to get into that mindset, mindset of research. Uh, because research is another important part of science. You hear of science, scientists, most of them are researchers, as well as doing the hands-on stuff. Most of the work that they do are re- is research. So if we can get them to really have a critical lens on the research and what they're looking up, um, that's important too, even on a small scale, because they ask us a zillion questions.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if they
1: can take those, at least one of them, and say, hey, you know, let me... Let me see why the sky is blue, you know, depending on their age. They're still going to ask us
0: a, a zillion <laughs>
1: questions. But <Yeah. laughs> if they can um, think about the skill and what they need to figure it out, that's important.
0: Yeah. And you mentioning bringing science into cooking or you know, like you gave the example of looking at the moon. It sounds so simple, but I mean, I think it's brilliant because it that in itself eliminates two accessibility stuff that I can think of that would be time and money. And it sounds so simple, but it's not, you know, I think me personally, I just, I think I try to make it harder than it has to be. It's like, I, I think like I need to get all this stuff to do these cool experiments, but yeah, just keep it simple. And, and I think it even is probably more important to show kids that science is everywhere and, and everything that we do.
1: Definitely. And then it makes it a lot more tangible. Like they can do it. Every child can see themselves as a scientist. If they're like, oh, I'm doing science right now. Even while I'm, if there aren't for children who like to do video games and stuff, right? Bring in coding. There's science everywhere. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. That if we just mentioned it, they're like, oh, this is science too. I thought it was just fun. Like, no, science is fun. And so by changing the narrative, we're really changing the mindset of the children that we're raising. Like, oh, science can be fun. Because a lot of times we think of, oh, because it's science and it's taught in school, it must be terrible, right? Mm -hmm. I'm putting it in the same basket of having to do homework, having to do chores. And now I'm adding this to it. And if we change the narrative, my sons look at science as it's their reward. I'm like, all right, if once we clean the room, then we can do science. (laughs) <laughs> so it's so it's, it depends on the narrative that you use. You don't wanna use schoolwork and um learning as a punishment. Like I never tell my sons, Okay, because you're in trouble, go read a book. I don't want them to see reading a book as a punishment. And so if we change the narrative of how we teach and educate our children about these topics, whether, you know, science, math, anything like that, then it's what we teach them. And I know I had listened to one of your previous podcasts, and I think it was Jess, and she was saying how sustainability, just doing it the way that you know how to do it, that's what your children know. It's really what they know, and that's Mm -hmm. what they'll grow into um, so my, my, I'm a huge proponent of starting young. A lot of people uh, sometimes think that they're too young to learn science. That it's a little bit hard. And maybe I'll do reading first and then science. But if we can get them excited about learning, then they'll want to learn anything. It doesn't yeah. matter
0: what it is. And that's really been my my goal. That's so true. And I think circling back to what you were saying regarding science in school and how It can have a negative connotation to it. I think that can be true for adults too, and maybe a barrier for some. Yeah, more of a mindset barrier about doing. "Quote unquote," doing science with kids, you know, like for me personally, when I did chemistry and stuff, like it was not a good experience, right. and I know. you know, so it's like to think about trying to do some sort of like chemistry experiment with my son, it's like, ooh, yeah, no, probably not, but but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't have to be that at all. So right. yeah,
1: that's definitely important.
0: Yeah, yeah. we've kind of touched a little bit, like very surface level stuff about access to quality science, learning, or education. Can you talk about that and how it affects a lot of kids?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, so with science being something that's usually the first, science, music, and arts is usually the first ones that schools tend to take away when funding is low, because some at younger ages, because you might see that There is no test connected to it. And then when you take away the arts, and you take away the science, um, you're really taking away the joy of school for a lot of these children. And so when funding is low, and they're really pushing the test, you'll notice that that's usually happening in inner city schools that are happening in schools where you'll see a lot of black and brown children. And if they're not engaged in something that they think is fun and hands-on, then they're probably more than likely going to be doing something they're not supposed to. And so if we can figure out a way and a lot of science, a lot of things like, as I mentioned before, we start. I like to start with kitchen science because even in my classroom, I I still use a lot of my kitchen science things. I'm like, all right, what can we do with the supplies that we have, that I have access to that I can afford with the couple of dollars they give me to create a hands-on lesson. And, trying to think outside the box. So it's not impossible. It does take a lot more work on the teacher to think of creative ways to think outside the box, but it does put a lot of burden on that teacher where if they had access to that quality materials, they wouldn't be as burned out. And so it kind of depends on the the area that we're in, the access to those supplies and how much support you really get from admin. I think those are the three things that I've seen that really shift the su- uh, the success of students in science, technology, engineering, and math, you yeah, all, all four.
0: Sure. Yeah. So from your experience, is it that the subjects that have the testing, those are the ones that stay because that's how schools get funding or? Right. Okay. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Schools get funded definitely by their test scores and so they have to focus on um definitely in elementary school they have to focus on the reading and the math and um but what i do find is that teachers who are able to infuse sciences into those reading passages and into the math they're finding a lot more success because the students are engaged if they imagine they saw a a volcano explosion right in front of them and now they can write about it they can discuss it with their peers then they can take some data from it and they can add it up, right? So they're putting all the information that they're learning from the cool, quote unquote, cool science experiment that they did, and now putting it with their reading and writing. Then they're also adding in the math to it. And so if there is, you know, if we can have that more, I think that that'll help with the success of bringing in the science in the younger grades so that they're not just solely focused on the reading and the math. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that it put a, puts a lot of pressure on the teachers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I have a, a question I want to ask you a little bit later on. But it seems like one of the reasons you came up with the subscription boxes was to not only help the teachers, but also expand to, as you mentioned, homeschooling, anyone that was interested, but also some some of these areas or people that maybe don't have a great science education in their school—is that kind of right in a nutshell? Right.
1: right. Yes, absolutely. I found I found that it was mostly the elementary schools that were suffering uh, with the hands-on science experiments and activities, and they weren't getting that quality information. Whether it was from the school per se, the price, or if it was just the teacher not really knowing that they can do it or what to do with the materials that they have. So when somebody kind of tells you, it's like, oh, it does make sense. You know, oh, I can do this Um, just to make it a little bit easier on the teachers who have to do everything, (laughs) Um, especially elementary teachers who teach all the subjects. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, So if someone can focus on the science for you, then, you know, definitely it just makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, for sure. And your kits are split up by age group. So you've got your, is it, I think it starts at pre-K, right?
1: Right. Pre-K to first grade. And then we have two to five and then middle school.
0: And then each month it's a different theme. And so the theme is the same throughout the three age groups. It just kind of varies as to difficult or not difficulty, but experience level and stuff like that.
1: Yes, for the most part. The most variability we might see is with middle school because um, there's a little different. But between the pre-K and first grade group and the two to five group, uh, second to fifth grade group, we'll definitely see a lot more similarities with the materials that's inside. It'll just be the tiered lesson plans would be a lot different.
0: Got it. And what do you typically get with a box? So
1: in a normal box, so you would get a four lessons, four worksheets, four bundles of worksheets, not just four worksheets, four bundles of worksheets so that it lasts throughout the month, as well as a video recording tutorial um, where I walk parents or teachers through the experiment so that they know what kind of to expect. Um, Because I do understand that there are a lot of parents and teachers who are nervous about science and like, I can't do it, or I'm not sure, or I'm not comfortable. And so if imagine taking like a science teacher and putting her right in front of you, like, all right, this is how you do it. You can either watch it and learn it so you can show your child, or you can have the child watch it and go through the experiment with them, as well as the materials needed for it. Um, Some materials are not included, whether it may be like if you need milk, you know, like some things are just (laughs) perishable um, things like that. But for the most part, just about everything that you need comes inside of the pack for it. And for those who use it, there is the, the the way that they get their videos are on a QR code that has access to not only the recordings, but also more worksheets that that they can print out. So if there's a sibling or cousin or something, then you can print out more of the worksheets that they can do it along with
0: you. That's awesome. And I just recently got the caterpillar one my son and i are going to do Hi, and <laughs> i can vouch that like you get everything it's amazing and he we're still waiting for the caterpillars but he is so excited <laughs> to get them and like you said it, it you get everything and you show exactly how to do it and what to do and so it it takes a little bit of pressure off me and i can enjoy it with him so right. we're super excited about it the boxes you can You can get as a subscription but you can also buy one-off ones right
1: yes absolutely so right now um, as we're going into summer the subscriptions are closed until the end of august so we have just items on the shelf which are some things that we had uh, throughout the year that might have been left over any of our previous boxes are available and then we have one summer camp in a box which will be for july and august for parents or teachers summer camp counselors I've had um, who are using these boxes so that they can bring it to their summer camps to to do science. So it kind of depends on where you are. If you just want a one-time, you can get a one-time. If you want to do something over summer, a program you're looking to do, or if you want to do it with your school next year, that will start up at the end of August to give our teachers A teacher break over the summer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I think I saw on your website, uh, were you doing birthday ones too? Oh yes, we do have birthdays. Definitely birthday in the box
1: as well. We've done only a couple. We did about two or three birthdays, but those are really fun. And they vary based on the amount of children that you have
0: cool can you do you fly out with and, and so we can learn from you <laughs> Just... yeah, we'll, we can make a special arrangement <laughs> <laughs> i there I, I can't emphasize enough how much I think everyone listening should check them out. It's such an amazing resource, and i I mean obviously the pandemic was horrible, but I think it's so amazing that this came out of it, and now you're making science more accessible. It's just, it's so cool. I think it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> See, yeah. Circling back to, we were talking about the burden on teachers and, and such for making science accessible and, and interweaving it into other subjects. So how can those of us who maybe aren't necessarily in that realm help remove these some of these barriers of access for kids to learning these STEM subjects that are so important in our own local community. Um, is there a way that we can help teachers, or should we be writing to school boards, local council members? Definitely. Um, I would
1: say definitely in your local community, if you can go to those meetings, that will definitely help with the schools. As long as they know that the the parents are there and they're caring, the parents are number one. Anytime we're in a meeting. At school, if the parents say anything, that's usually the way that it's going to happen. So as long as parents are there and talking and making sure that they're advocating for the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics courses, then the schools will abide because that's where they're getting essentially their money from and from the taxes and from the parents. So I think that's important. I also think it's a good idea to take a look like if you're if there's something you're passionate about, take a look at donors choose. There's a lot of teachers who are looking to do small things in their classroom or bigger things in their community with their classes um, and they'll put things on donors choose so that hopefully people who decide to donate to their classroom initiative can find it there. So if you're looking for something to help and if you don't have children or you're just looking to do some donation, definitely donors choose will help teachers who are looking to gather materials or take students on a field trip. I mean, field trips are a little different now, but
0: soon we will be able to get back to field trips
1: <laughs> again, I would say.
0: Yeah. And so that was donor, D-O-N-O-R, choose C-H-O-O-S-E?
1: Yes. Donor. Okay. I think it has an S at the end. donor.
0: Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I that, I have not heard about that, but I will definitely link to it in the show notes and um, and check it out. So, is it by? You can search by. Um, yeah, you local can search area. by okay.
1: area. You search by initiative. You can search by, and things will start to pop up once you decide kind of what type of things you like to donate to over time. So that's
0: awesome. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So. That's a super awesome resource. Do you have any other favorite resources or organizations that are helping reduce barriers for science education?
1: Oh, definitely. I love, what is this called? It's called Club Lab Rascals.
0: I follow them on Instagram
1: and I recently found them. And this is a group that opens up, it was in school and when the pandemic hit, it became virtual. So it's able to really uh, touch a lot more students. And with Club Lab Raskas, what she does is that each, every, I would say it's almost like every month or every two months, she has a new camp. And it will be called like chemistry camp or forensics camp and biology camp. And it really opens up science to everyone using household materials. And so there's two days a week. It's an after school program. And every time they open up, they usually sell out because it's just that amazing of a group. Um And what they do focus on is making sure that the children in the group, they're able to see black and brown scientists, because a lot of times you may not see those in regular textbooks or in regular TV shows. And so it's helping to foster in that community that you can also see yourself as a scientist. And um, that's really important. I know for me, for my sons to be able to see like, you can see someone who looks like you as a scientist, it's not too hard, it's not too far-fetched, and it's kind of like when you're younger and you're looking through a magazine and you see somebody who maybe is like a ballerina or a model, and then, oh man, she looks, I want to look like that, or I want to be like that, and so it's the same thing. If we want to put these really good role models in front of our children, that they want to be like that. And um, so I really, really love the program that she's doing. I think that'll be really beneficial for a lot of parents out there.
0: That sounds awesome. I will definitely link to that in the show notes as well for anyone interested. Quickly changing gears here for one of the last questions that I wanted to chat about. On your blog, you have a post about hosting a community storytime event that I loved. Can you tell us what that is and how we could set one up in our own community?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had so much fun doing that event. I just found another teacher mom. Um, in my area. And we were like, we want to do something. (laughs) And so of course, books is usually where uh, we start with younger children. And um, we just reached out to the way that we started that we just reached out to the park and we asked do we need a permit, it'll be around this many children that we're looking to do it. And so we got a park permit. And we invited some people from the community, some people we knew, and we just spread the word really through word of mouth for the first ones. And it just started to grow from there. We brought books and we did a book swap. And I love book swaps. I do that, I tend to do that at a lot of my events because I know for me, my sons read books and then they're done with it. And I'm like, you don't want to read anymore? No, they read it a gazillion <laughs> times. And so instead of it just staying, <laughs> staying right on our bookshelf and taking up space, I like to do a book swap because what's new to me is old to you and vice versa. And so if we can... Um, you know, we just sharing, kind of like sharing um, books. That was all pre-pandemic mm-hmm. when we shared a lot more things, but um yeah. definitely recommend a book swap and a community book reading. And so we basically just uh found, and then we found one author. So we did an author and two teachers and we opened up the, the playground mats and everything. And we did a a reading in the community of, um, and each one is a different theme. And so one of them was just talking about like caterpillars and animals, and we like to do a craft that goes with it. So it's really simple if, you, if you're if you looking to do something in the community. You really just have to reach out to the park or the area that you're going to be, depending on the amount of uh, people that you might have attend. But other than that, it was really just bringing yourself, And bringing the books, we had our mats. And on some people, we asked them to bring their own mats or blankets. And it was a a pretty good time.
0: Such a great idea. And you can make it as simple or as complex as you want. But it's such a great way to meet other people in your community or have your kids meet other kids. And yeah, I I just I thought that was so cool. It was such a great idea.
1: Where we have a drummer who's going to be coming and doing like a little uh, musical part for them as well. So You can be as
0: creative, like you said, as possible. (laughs) Just a great way to learn about local artists in your community as well. Definitely. So I feel like I could talk to you forever, (laughs) but I (laughs) know you've got stuff to do. So getting to the portion where uh, I ask a few questions that I'm asking everybody. And so the first one is, uh, what's one of your biggest challenges raising eco-minimalists or eco-kids or science-loving kids, whichever feels right for you um, now?
1: Oh, pain points. Um, Definitely, I would say for uh, eco-minimalist, it's definitely difficult um, because of the newer business that I'm in with uh, boxes and creating a product where I feel like I have so much stuff and I'm like, how do I cut this back? And so one of the things I'm working with uh, my sister, she's an engineer, a sustainable, sustainability engineer, is how can we cut back on um, all the stuff that we have for this business so that we're not doing damage like how mm. we, how we don't want to, um, but still maintaining the product that, the way that it needs to be and the quality that it needs to be. And so doing that from that means is also in my house as well with we my son to say or see something, Learning like, okay, you don't need everything. How can we reuse water bottles? And they know now we don't really throw away water bottles or bottle caps and egg cartons. We keep them and we reuse, we, we do a lot of our science using those recycled things. So they know mm-hmm. once we have an extra water bottle from somewhere, we're going to use it to do something science. So it's kind of exciting <laughs> for them to do that, but that's still like why I have, I still have too much, where I'm like, I have to purge. <laughs> I have to get rid of this. So yes, yeah, that's probably our biggest pain point here is how can we go more minimal because it's too much. <laughs>
0: sure, yeah, I can imagine that it would add up pretty quickly, but what a great resource in your sister to be able to tap Definitely. that knowledge.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: So uh, kind of another thing going along with sa- sustainability is how do you balance those time savings and convenient items with, again, sustainability because they don't always go hand in hand.
1: Right. Uh, Well, the balance is such a good word (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because we do, we just try to balance and certain battles we uh, can't fight. So like right now I could, my son is almost potty trained and I don't want to um have to rewash a reusable diaper for a two year old almost two year old because his he eats regular food <laughs> so his mm-hmm. feces is not like <laughs> a newborn feces yeah, right. <laughs> um so I use diapers as I'm trying to get him out of <laughs> out of papers and so one of those so certain battles I will Light and certain battles I would have to, uh, like you said, like I have to balance and <laughs> level load and mm. try to figure out what's best for us. And so picking my battles is really one of those things I think is how I balance. Certain things, it's it's no, no, we're not doing this. And other things are like, all right, I can't stress about this right now. Mm. We'll work on it, let's say, in the next couple of months. Um, and yeah. especially with my toddlers being so still young
0: and I'm like, all
1: right, I can't do all the things
0: <laughs> right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. And mental health is so important too. So Definitely. it you know, get that needs to be factored in. But that was at your what you just shared is exactly our experience too. We started when we really started looking at our waist, my son was he had just turned two or was just about to and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was not something where we were going to invest in a ton of cloth diapers and like you said I was not interested Mm -hmm. in learning how to do all that when (laughs) I you know knew he was going to be getting out of diapers soon so yeah it's it yeah everything you said is so true (laughs) are there any other resources about the topics that we covered today that you would recommend besides your own
1: um there's so many great science resources. There's I mean there's so many like TV shows that help um I think parents who might be a little bit wary about um science and stuff that is just acts as an introduction. Oh. Um like my son's love StoryBots and on oh. StoryBots they ask a question um at the beginning of each episode and the question is things that children ask but we may think it's, like easy but children ask them like um Maybe like, why does your stomach growl? And it'll be like questions that we're like, oh, we don't really ask, but children ask them. And they go through the science of how, why does your stomach growl? And so even starting with a TV show or some form of technology isn't all bad. I know we have a very negative connotation sometimes to technology, but using it in a positive light or using it um, resourcefully, I think is in our best benefit because that's where the world is. So, we can Mm -hmm. channel our children and students to use it responsibly, like watching the shows that will really help bring them to the next level, or using online resources. Like, I love Brain Pop, it gives them a little bit of whatever the topic is. It's talking about the moon, and then there's questions they answer about it, and there's something hands on they get. There's like a lot of different resources on Brain Pop. That I use in my classroom and I use it at home with my sons. And then, of course, subscription boxes are always great because they send you everything. And so I'm not only mine, but I have I've, I have two other subscription boxes who come to me for my sons. And it just makes that process like I have one just for crafts and stuff. And it makes that process so much easier instead of me having to think about it, plan it, get get the stuff that I need. It's all there for me. And so using technology, using resources that you have that are near, whether it's local, whether it's at your library, going to pick something up. There's so many resources that you can do, you can kind of help foster the science, even if you're not ready yet to jump into doing science experiments, but having them ask those questions and Get interested in it. I think is 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 really cool and important.
0: Yeah, and I will link to those in the show notes for anyone that is interested. So, all right, last, can you share where people can find you, your website, and your boxes? Sure, absolutely. So, if
1: you want to chat with me, I'm on Instagram most of the day. Science. Teach <laughs> Mom. Um, and uh, my website is www.teachermom.com. You can find uh, the subscription boxes there if you are interested in those for next year or if you're looking for something for the summer. And that's it.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your boxes and all your wisdom about teaching and STEM and getting our kids involved in everything. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I had a
0: great time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra, bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time, bye.